Tonight on the City Club of Idaho Falls, we explore the topic, Education, Our Economic Foundation, with guest speaker Rod Grammer, President and CEO of Idaho Businesses for Education. This forum was recorded on March 14, 2014 at the Benyon Student Union Building in Idaho Falls on the ISU campus. KISU City Club is presented by the Idaho Humanities Council, enhancing the quality of life in Idaho by broadening public awareness, appreciation, and understanding of literature, history, philosophy, and other humanities disciplines. More details are on the web at idahohumanities.org. Well, I am so excited to be able to introduce Rod Grammer to you today. Uh, Rod and I are friends from the University of Idaho. We knew each other in school. More importantly, uh, Rod married one of my very best friends from Gooding. We were raised together. We were sorority sisters together at the University of Idaho. And, and one day she told me she was going to marry Rod. And I thought, that's a match made in heaven. So I, I know he's a good man because if he weren't, Julie wouldn't have married him, and she's a good, good woman. So let me give you some of Rod's credentials, and that kind of helps you to understand why he is the perfect man for this job uh, with Idaho Business for Education. He is the CEO and president of this new group, relatively new group, which is a nonprofit group, has 86 members right now, business people across the state, and they are dedicated to improving education. Uh, Rod was in Florida when he learned about this group forming, and uh, it sounded like the perfect opportunity for him to return home to Boise home to Idaho and also do something very positive that would be near and dear to his heart. But just so you know his credentials, 40 years he worked in the media, which I've been here 36 years, must make Rod four years older than me. about close. He has been a reporter, a newspaper editor, and a television executive. He worked for the Idaho Statesman in Boise for 14 years. Then KTVB, that is the number one station by a mile, by a mile, and Rod had a lot to do with that. He was there for a decade. He was the executive director for KGW-TV in Portland, Oregon for 13 years. And again, I must say I helped Rod in this because he hired two of the most, um, the greatest female anchors with the most stupendous egos. Can I just say that? I'm sorry. I don't know how else to put it, but Laurel Porter, who we all remember from here, and Tracy Berry, both very dear friends of mine, and Rod called me one day after he had hired Laurel, and he wasn't sure how they would get along, Laurel and Tracy. And he said, I just wanted to call and thank you and let you know that uh, you broke the ice because they both loved you, so they had plenty to talk about. I said, you know, my job is to train them here and shoot them out to the big market. So, <laughs> so that's what we do. Most recently, he has been vice president and general manager of Bay News. That was in Tampa, Florida. And he managed both the 24-hour English and the Spanish news channels. So he brings in such an understanding of public policy, of communications, of executive experience, so he can help Idaho Business for Education. Born and raised in Boise, he's Idaho born and bred. I personally think that's another mark in his favor. He graduated U of I double major, journalism and history. He is the father of two children. They are products of the public school system in Idaho and Oregon. His daughter Jennifer graduated from Syracuse University and is working on her doctorate now at the University of Wisconsin. And his son Robert, did you name him after Robbie? (laughs) I thought so. Uh, Graduated from American University. He works for the Atlantic Council. This is interesting. That is a foreign affairs think tank in Washington. Washington, D.C., so that's where his son is. And he and his wife, uh, Julie, have been married for 36 years, and I know that because I was in the wedding. <laughs> and so I think I still have that dress. I don't, you know, we never wore them again. Yeah, we wore, we wore them one time, and they're still in the closet. So ladies and gentlemen, a good friend, a good man, Rod Grammer. 
So I forgot a couple of those stories. You know, I remember when Laurel, many of you probably remember Laurel. Laurel worked for me two times. First, I lured her away from Idaho Falls to, to Boise to work at KTVB, and she anchored for me for uh, two, three years. And then she got homesick for Idaho Falls. So she came back here to Idaho Falls, and then she left here after a few years, went to Orlando. And when I was looking for an anchor in Portland, um, you know, I knew Laurel wanted, her husband Mike is from Idaho Falls, and he really did not like Florida any more than I liked Florida. And so he, uh, so I knew Laurel kind of wanted to come west, so I lured her back to west to Portland. And I remember now, I had forgotten this, I'm thinking, oh, okay, Tracy and Laurel, you know, that can be a problem, you know. So I called Carol, I said, hey, Carol, would you call Tracy and tell her that Laurel's okay? Would you tell Laurel that Tracy's okay? And so she was my Henry Kissinger. And I also want to say the reason that she never wears that dress anymore is because my wife has this sort of, she used to have this love of peach. And, and, and all the dresses the, uh, were peach, and I really don't blame you for not wearing that dress anymore. I would not wear that dress, but, uh, and it's actually 37 years this June. So before I start, I'd like to introduce my vice president, Hollis Brook, over here in the uh, middle. So uh, Hollis is going to help me today and run my PowerPoint. So today I'd like to talk about, try to connect the dots between education and the economy. So I'd like to begin today with presenting a, what I call a simple formula, which if followed, I believe could help determine the future of our state. And the formula is this. A strong education system plus a strong economy equals an increasingly good quality of life for the people of Idaho. Unfortunately, there is another formula that we could easily become our future. And that formula looks something like this. A weak education system plus a weak economy equals a declining quality of life for our citizens of Idaho. Fate, in my view, will not determine which of these become the reality for our state. The people of Idaho will decide. I will decide and you will decide. The choice is ultimately ours. We can either take steps that improve the quality of life for all the citizens of Idaho, or like Nero, we can fiddle while metaphorically speaking at least, Idaho burns. Again, the choice is ours to make. We can either make an intentional decision to take the steps that move our state forward, or we can choose the second path that uh, leads to the other scenario and doesn't allow our state to grow or prosper. So it seems to me that one of the challenges that we face is that Idaho is a pretty great place to live. I don't think I have to tell you that. I know I know that because we wanted to come home. We are blessed here in Idaho with one of the most beautiful natural environments in the world. We have majestic mountains that uh, grace our landscapes. We have ribbons of wild and scenic rivers that wind through our state. And we have beautiful, fertile farmland that stretches out in every direction as far as your eye can see. We are lucky to have good neighbors and honest, hardworking people, people who have strong values. 
citizens who understand the importance of family and community and mutual support for each other. Yet this natural beauty and the inherent goodness of our people, I think, can mask some serious problems that we have and prevent our state from living up to its fullest potential. In some ways, I think, Idaho is like a beautiful old stately mansion that needs some fixing up. It needs some tender loving care. In so, if one inspects the foundation of this old house, you might see a little dry rot here and maybe a little dry rot there. You might, if you look close, see some cracks in our foundation. Unless the owners of that house do some work and invest in it, it's likely that that foundation could continue to crumble. Let me show you some recent headlines from newspapers that might indicate that we have a few cracks in our foundation. In 2012, Idaho ranked 50th in the country in per capita wages. We ranked 50th in average wages. And we ranked 50th in wage increases since 2007. We did rank number one in one category, and that was in the percentage of minimum wage jobs. We had 7.7% of our jobs minimum wage compared to the national average of 4.7%. But that's not where the bad news ends. Idaho has one of the highest percentage of people who work uh, part-time jobs. Nearly 50% of the kids in our state live in poverty. A Department of Labor study last week, uh, last year showed that more young people were leaving Idaho for the first time in a generation than moving in. And unfortunately, more people that looked like me were moving into the state. <laughs> These are not statistics we can be proud of, but they are also statistics that we ignore at our own peril. Significantly, I think, we don't have to accept these statistics as the fate, the economic endgame for our great state. Instead, these kinds of statistics can make us determined, determined to put our state on a different and much better path for the future. They can inspire us to reach higher, to demand more of ourselves, and to build a brighter future for all of our citizens, but especially our kids, our grandkids and our great-grandkids. The, the Native Americans believed that the present generation has a responsibility for what they called seven generations out. One of the chiefs of the, the uh, Native Americans explained this philosophy this way, he, quote, we are looking ahead, as is one of the most important mandates given to us as chiefs, to make every decision relate to the welfare and the well-being of the seventh generation to come. If you do the math, the seventh generation philosophy means that today's community leaders, people like you in this room, have a responsibility for citizens who will come 140 years after us. That is a long throw into the future, no matter how you calculate it. But I submit that the seventh generation philosophy could serve us very well as we're trying to shore up Idaho's foundation. In fact, the seventh generation 
uh, philosophy was just the kind of thinking that the founding fathers of Idaho had when they wrote the Idaho Constitution 125 years ago, 125 years ago, almost seven generations ago. And they created a thorough and uniform system of public schools in the state of Idaho. And moreover, they said any student who wanted to attend the University of Idaho could do it tuition free. That was seventh generation thinking. That was real statesmanship. And the rebuilding that we must do today starts, I think, with education. Because education is, and always has been, the passport to the American dream. Thanks to education, the United States is the model, the standard for the rest of the world. We are the beacon on the hill. Thanks to education, the United States has set the standard for innovation and invention, things like space exploration and the space shuttle. Thanks to education, we have been the leader in imagination and creativity. And most importantly, we have been the leader for freedom and responsibility. Government for and by the people cannot and will not succeed unless we have an educated electorate that can make wise decisions. I know that I would not be standing in front of you today if it was not for education and a mother who really believed in education. My mother graduated from high school. My father dropped out of high school to join the Navy and fight in World War II. And a few months before I was born, my father was tragically killed in an automobile accident near Idaho City, leaving my mother to raise two young boys by herself. She drummed into our heads that the key to the future and the key to a good life was education. So it was understood that I would graduate from high school and I would go on to college and get a degree. And thanks to her determination and encouragement, I became the very first person in my immediate family to actually graduate from college. Any of the professional and personal success that I've had in life can be traced directly back to her encouragement for me to get an education and to, be, and to get a degree and become a professional journalist. Unfortunately, I am the exception to the rule here in Idaho. And any of you in this room who have any kind of college degree, you're always also the exception to the rule. Only 39% of the people in Idaho have any kind of post-secondary credential. 61% uh, of Idahoans have only some college, a high, high school degree, or, or even less. And that level of education was okay for most of our state's history. You could graduate from high school and maybe not even graduate from high school, and you could work in the mines up in northern Idaho, and you'd do okay. Or you could work in the sawmills or the forests, and you'd do okay. Or you could work in the fields, and you could do okay. You could join a company, a bank, or something like that. They'd train you how to do the job, and you'd work your way up, and you could do okay for you and your family. But those days are over for our kids. They need more education than our generation and earlier generations had. A few months ago, I took a tour of the College of Western Idaho over in Nampa. 
and President Burke Landon gave me the tour. And we went into this one space that was actually bigger than this room. And in this room, there were these several semi-trucks, uh, cabs. And President Glandon pointed at those trucks, and he said, you know, Rod, you've got to know how to use a computer to drive those trucks. Then we went into the body shop, the place where these guys work on the cars, and they paint the cars and things like that. And I met the guy that runs the body shop school there at the College of Western Idaho. And he pointed to this computer, and he said, students have to know how to run this computer so they know how to mix the paint to paint the cars. Next month, Simplot Company is opening a new potato processing plant in Canyon County. That plant is going to be robotic. It's going to be the most state-of-the-art processing plant in the country. It is going to employ only a fraction of the workers that Simplot's other three old potato processing plants in Idaho employ. Right now, thousands work in those plants. Only a few hundred will be working in the new plant in Canyon County. And all those other plants are going to be closed. The workers at that new plant in Canyon County have to know how to use technology. This shift in the job market isn't just happening in Idaho. It's happening all across the United States. And it's having a dramatic effect on our economy and the lives of people. I'd like to show you a chart. Hopefully you can see it. Can you see it back there? Um, this chart traces salaries from 1963 to th 2007. You'll notice here that the graphs are fairly close together. Uh, the red graph are people with a graduate degree. The, the line right after that is the, is the graph of people with a college degree. The other graphs are people with a high school degree or less. <clears throat> and you'll notice that from about 1963 to about 1982, those graphs were pretty close together, even though college-educated people still made more money. But starting in 1982, we moved from an industrial economy into a knowledge economy. And as you can see, since 1982, those graphs have been moving farther apart. So when President Obama talks about the income inequity in our country and the gap between the rich and the poor, it's as much an education gap as it is an income gap. People with more education make more money. People with less education make less. In fact, people with a high school degree or without a high school degree have actually lost earning power uh, since 1963. So I'd like to show you another graph. And this uh, is another look at this troubling problem that I just talked about. So these graphs uh, talk about wages. And they have wages during the Great Recession and since the Great Recession. And as you know, we lost hundreds of thousands of jobs during the Great Recession. But what you may not know is that we actually gained 187,000 jobs during the Great Recession for people with a college degree. But what has happened since the Great Recession is the real story. Since the end of the Great Recession, people with an advanced degree or a, or a bachelor's degree, we've gained 2 million jobs. 
For people with an associate degree or at least some college education, we've gained 1.6 million jobs. But what you can see here is people with a high school degree or less, we're continuing to lose jobs in that category. So again, there's not only a wage gap, but there's a job gap in this recovery. So let's bring this problem home to Idaho. In 2018, just four short years from now, we will need 60% of our citizens, or 60% of the jobs by 2018, will require some level of post-secondary education. It'll require either a workforce-ready certificate, an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, or higher. That is according to two studies. One is by Georgetown University. The other study is by our group, Idaho Business for Education, of Idaho business leaders. Last year, we surveyed 466 business leaders from every corner of the state. 21% of those business leaders were from eastern Idaho. And they told us that 43% of the jobs that they will be hiring for in 2018 will require either a bachelor's degree or higher. And the percentage is even higher here in eastern Idaho. The employers here in eastern Idaho told us that they want 32% of their new hires in 2018 to have a bachelor's degree and 12% to have an advanced degree. The problem is, is that we are not moving uh, too fast in this area as a state, and we're behind the curve. We do a really good job of getting kids through high school in the 80 percentile, but we do a really lousy job of preparing them for the rigors of post-secondary education. And worse yet, we have very few of our young people after graduating from high school go on. In fact, we have the worst go on record in the United States. Only 46% of the high school graduates in 2013, May of 2013, enrolled in any college in the fall of 2013, whether it was an in-state, out-of-state college, whether it was a private college, or whether it was a public college. But the other problem is even those who go on to higher education, most drop out before they obtain any kind of post-secondary credential. Part of the problem is our students just aren't prepared for the rigors of post-secondary education. Nearly 50% of all the high school graduates who go to a two-year or four-year school in Idaho need remedial math and English. Those who go to a community college, 75% of them need to have remedial math and English. And President Glandon over at the College of Western Idaho told me that more than 80% of his incoming freshmen over there need remedial math and English. Many of our young people simply get frustrated when they hit post-secondary education and they drop out. Or they use up their life savings on remedial classes, do-over classes, before they ever start working on their core curriculum. And they can't afford to continue their studies. But this lack of preparation that I'm talking about actually starts even earlier. 44% of the kids that enter kindergarten in Idaho do not read at grade level. And by the time they reach the fourth grade, one-third, 32% of our students, do not read at grade level. And you know how important that is because from kindergarten to third grade, students learn to read, and fourth grade on, 
they read to learn. And if they're not reading at grade level by the fourth grade, many of them will continue to struggle for the rest of their academic life. Fortunately, Idaho is starting to take some steps to turn these problems around. The 2011 legislature adopted the Idaho Core Standards, which I think maybe you've heard something about the Idaho Core Standards. These standards raise the bar for what our students learn in math and English. They better prepare our young people for the rigors and the challenges of post-secondary education. We believe that these standards set our kids up for success in school, work, and life. And that is why every education group in the state of Idaho has endorsed the Idaho Core Standards. Teachers, superintendents, principals, um, school boards, every business group in the state of Idaho has endorsed the Idaho Core Standards. The state has taken other steps to help education. Uh, and to build a brighter future for our young people. Last year, the Governor's Task Force on, on Education recommended 20 things we can do to help improve students' academic performance. Taken together, these 20 recommendations rec represent a strategic plan for our education system. Education, public education in Idaho is a $1.4 billion enterprise. There isn't a business in America that has a $1.4 billion enterprise and doesn't have a strategic plan. So we need these Governor's Task Force recommendations and follow these Task Force recommendations so we can implement the strategic plan for Idaho and transform our education system. This year there have been some positive steps as well. The Idaho legislature is in the process of passing the best public school budget in seven years. Is it enough? It certainly isn't enough but it's a good start. It is imperative for us to take these steps if we want to grow the Idaho economy and help it thrive. It is also imperative for us to do this if we want a brighter future for our young people. An educated workforce is the lifeblood of Idaho businesses just as water is the lifeblood of, for our farmers. Without a more highly educated and skilled workforce, our existing businesses are going to have trouble growing. Many of our businesses have already made the decision to leave Idaho in search of worker talent because they can't find it here in Idaho. We even heard a story two days ago about a business here in Idaho Falls where the owner of this business could not find the workers he needed. He still lives here in Idaho Falls. He still has his corporate headquarters here but he had to move his facilities to three other states. And the other problem we have is that it will be much more difficult for us to recruit new businesses to Idaho if we don't have the kind of workforce that can staff them. The kinds of businesses we want in Idaho, the businesses that pay good, livable family wages. I started my talk today by showing you a simple formula for success. Strong education system plus a strong economy can lead to a higher quality of life for all Idahoans. But this is maybe a simple formula, but it's not going to be a simple for formula to follow. To achieve a brighter future, we must invest in the future. That means seeing education as an investment and not as an expense. 
It means that we need to transform the education system from preschool through the higher education system and make it one of the best in the country. At the same time, the education system must adapt and change to meet the challenges of the 21st century. It won't be easy for us to create this future. It will take hard work, dedication, follow-through, and as painful as it is, it's going to cost us some money. But I am confident that we can create a brighter future for Idaho. That's because we come from hardy stock. We come from a lineage of pioneers. Pioneers who came here in search of gold. Pioneers who came here in search of fertile farmland, in search of abundant forests, in search of a better job, and in search of a better life for themselves and for their children. These were people that were willing to sacrifice and invest and work until they achieved their dream and the welfare of the next generation and even seven generations. Now it is up to us, the people who carry on their legacy, to emulate their dedication for the future. If we can strengthen our education system, if we can build a stronger economy, we can set the state of Idaho on a better course, and we can create a brighter future for all Idahoans, but especially for our children and their children, and for generations to come, and yes, for even seven uh, generations to come. The choice ultimately is ours to make. It's my choice, it's your choice. But we must start making that choice now and creating the future we want and the, create, and the future that can create a brighter future for the state of Idaho. We have some really good questions for you. Some of them may not be applicable to you and your, and your office, and so you can just express your own opinion or not. You always have the opportunity to say, I just cannot comment on that. But uh, the first one is, um, you know, education, and a good quote, education is about filling a bucket, or not about filling a bucket, it's about lighting a fire. How will Common Core do that? That is a great question, Carol. So um, I have talked to a lot of teachers around the state, and... Uh, in fact, I spoke to the Methodist women a couple weeks ago in Boise. And I didn't, know, I didn't know this, but there was a teacher in the crowd. And I talked about core standards and all that. And she, in the Q&A section, she raised her hand. And she said, in five short months, core standards have transformed my classroom. Students are responding so well. They're growing so much. And I've heard this from so many teachers around Idaho, that the core standards have really change their classrooms and they are so excited about what they're doing and talk about lighting a fire if you can light a fire if if these teachers have as much fire and passion as they express when i talk to them you know it's also happening in the classroom and i'm sure there are some teachers out there that are you know have mixed feelings about it but the idaho education association is a strong backer of the core standards Teachers I know are big backers of the core standards, and they are, these standards are helping light a fire in the students and the teachers, and the teachers for that matter. For the first time, the teachers say they have more control in their classroom, they have more control over what they teach than any time in, in their history. This is about the Idaho uh, Business for Education. Um, 
we've had a lot of tax cuts in Idaho in our history to help big business. And maybe those tax cuts contributed to not having as much money for education. And yet it's the Idaho business leaders that want to help education. But isn't it the Idaho business leaders who want to keep the minimum wages, minimum wage? And so how it's, it seems like um, they're working against themselves or something along those lines. Does that make sense to you? So the IBA is trying to help education, and yet aren't these the same guys trying to get the tax cuts so we have less money for education? Don't we all work against ourselves sometimes? Or... So, I mean, the truth is is that Idaho has pursued a, a course the last few years. You had Mike Ferguson here, I think. And Mike would tell you, as he probably did, that we've had lots of tax cuts over the last few years. And the thing about business is business is not a monolithic or um, sort of thing, just like people are not a monolithic thing. And our group is dedicated to improving the education system because we think education is the engine that will drive the economy. And we think education is that important. And hopefully I have shown you today why it's so important. Uh, I think those national trends are pretty dramatic. So our feeling is that we have to invest in education and we have to put the money into the system that will allow our, our schools to flourish. And there is going to be a continuing debate in our state uh, over the role of tax cuts uh, and over the role of funding. And the only thing we do as business leaders is caution everyone, including our fellow business leaders, including the legislators, including the governor, to take into account that it's going to cost us several hundred million dollars to implement the governor's task force recommendations. We believe at IBE that those recommendations provide the best chance we have in a generation for moving the state's education system forward. So as people debate tax policy, we want them to keep in mind that we're going to have to make a sizable investment in education if we're really going to transform the system. So regardless of where the debate goes, we want all policymakers to keep in mind that we cannot go off course. We have to stick with these recommendations. They're going to cost money. The money's got to come from somewhere. So as they're weighing these pros and cons of policy, they've got to keep in mind that they've got to pay the piper when it comes to transforming the education system. So hopefully we can help inform the debate. IBE can help inform the debate. And I'm sure there are business leaders in the state that would disagree with that. But I can tell you there are business leaders in our organization who deeply believe in that. So I don't know if that answered the question, but... I'm hoping that we can, we as a group can help inform this conversation. Would you ever see IBE lobbying for businesses to pay more taxes, a greater percentage? Well, uh, again, I think that goes back to tax policy, you know. I mean, it goes back to, you know, what, what is, you know, in Idaho, we've got to, you know, we've got to both progress educationally and progress in the economy. Right, because we can we can educate all these young people, but if we don't have jobs for them, they're going to have to go out of state. You know, and many of them already are. 
At the same time, if we don't do a better job in education, we're not going to have the jobs for them either. So it's almost a yin and a yang. It's almost like an alpha and omega, where we've got to do both things simultaneously. So what we would encourage policymakers to think about, as they're thinking about tax policy in particular, is what tax policies actually lead to economic growth. You know, let's, let's pursue tax policies that actually lead to economic growth. And let's pursue education policies that lead to economic growth and help our young people. They're connected. So every time we decide to give some money away, we've got to ask ourselves, is this a good use of our money? And that's what we would encourage policymakers to think about. You know, I've got my own personal thoughts on which policies would make sense, but it really is up to the policymakers and the governor to decide. But we want them to think about it. Every time they give some tax base away, be thinking about, does this really lead to economic prosperity, or are we just giving tax, base, tax money away that could support what we need to do in education? Did the IBE take a stand on uh, minimum wage and whether it should be raised or not? We didn't. Uh, there's really no uh, active proposal on that in Idaho. Um, I mean, there was never, I mean, there's no legislation. I know there's a petition drive, but even the last story I read was the, the people leading that say they don't think they'll get enough signatures. You mentioned that we do pretty well graduating high school students, you know, getting them to graduation. This question is, if so many kids need remediation when they go to college, then how can we say that our high schools are doing a good job just graduating without knowledge is not doing a good job. Well, you know, our teachers, and I, the first thing I want to say before I answer this question is, this problem that we've got in education is not an educator's problem. It's not a teacher's problem. It's not an administrator's problem. It's not a school board's problem. This problem we have in education is our problem. All the people of Idaho share in this and we share a responsibility for finding solutions. This is not a bash the teachers thing. Our teachers and educators are teaching the kids to the standards that we have set. And our standards are not that strong. So they're doing their job, we just haven't set high enough standards. So our standards do not prepare them for the rigors of post-secondary education. And that's why we need the Idaho Core Standards because this, this will ha set higher standards. The teachers will teach to those standards. Our kids are going to see progress. The state that is farther, further, further ahead than any of us on Common Core is Kentucky. When Kentucky implemented the core standards uh, and the, the, the students took their first assessment, their scores went down pretty dramatically because, like Idaho, their standards were pretty low. And I always compare this to, I, I did track in high school, although I didn't do high jump. But if, if the bar for a high jump is like down here, even I could have been a high jumper. But when you raise the bar, you know, it's harder to get over that bar. You know, you gotta work harder, you gotta train harder. And our standards are kinda like that. Our standards are kinda down here where it's pretty easy to jump over the bar. When you raise the standards, uh, it's gonna be harder. So what happened in Kentucky, they raised their standards. That first assessment, the scores plummeted. When they took the second assessment, the, the scores went up. And now Kentucky's finished its third year of assessments, and now 54% of the kids in Kentucky are college ready. So yeah, that first year, the kids struggled. Second year, they got better. Third year, they got even better. 
And that's what's going to happen in Idaho. When they first take that assessment for real a year from now, we expect the scores to go down. But we also believe in our kids, and we believe that those scores will continually go up, and they'll be more college ready. So I hope that answered your question. But these standards are so, we consider these the foundation of what we need to do in education. If you build a house, you don't start with the roof or the walls. You begin with the foundation, and then you build the, the, the walls and the roof. And that's what the core standards are. They are the foundation for our education system. Um, most people would agree that we all need more and better standards and a better education foundation. The question is, even if we get more kids ready for college, how are they going to pay for it? Well, that's a really good question. Um, that's a really good question. So um, the problem we've got in Idaho is we don't understand why we have a go-on problem. We all have theories about why we have a go-on problem, but we really don't have any data. We don't understand the problem. So one of the recommendations we've made to the State Board of Education is let's, let's, universities do research. That's in their wheelhouse. Let's have the universities collaborate on a go-on research project so that we can find out from our young people why don't they go on. So do we have a college culture problem in Idaho? One could make a good case we do because only about 24% of our people have a bachelor's degree in Idaho. So it's be, it'd be reasonable to say that we probably don't have a college culture in Idaho. So do we have a financial problem? Do kids find it difficult to pay for college? Well, one could make the case that that could be a problem. In 1980, the state picked up 92% of the cost of higher education in Idaho. And the parents and students picked up about 7%, 7.4%. Well, uh, by 2012, the state picked up 53% of the cost of higher education, and the students and parents were picking up 47% of the cost of education. This isn't just an Idaho phenomenon. It's happening all across the United States. In Oregon, the University of Oregon is so close to going, it's so close, it has so little support from the state of Oregon now that Phil Knight and other people in Oregon want to take the University of Oregon private. Uh, and that's really saying something, right? Somebody joked the other day that, yeah, it will be changed to Nike University. And, uh, but, but this is happening all across the United States. The governor of Tennessee, in his State of the State address this year, recommended that for every high school graduate in Tennessee, the state would pay two years tuition to a community college. In Oregon, they're looking at this idea that the state would pick up the tuition for students, and then they would repay the cost of that tuition at 3% of their base salary uh, for as long as it took them to pay it back. So if somebody was an engineer and made $100,000 a year, they'd pay $3,000 uh, uh, back to the state for their education. If they were a teacher, they might pay less. But states, the point is states are looking at this as a problem and looking at solutions. But in Idaho, we've got to do the, in my view, we've got to understand the problem first, and then we can start looking for solutions to the problem. So, you know, my uneducated guess is that financing is a problem, but let's find out if that is the problem, and then if it is, let's look at policies that can change that paradigm and see if we can move forward. At what point do you think the voters in Idaho changed their view that education was not a public benefit worthy of support? I don't think the people of Idaho, ironically, the people of Idaho 
believe in education. I'm not so sure they believe in higher education because I do think we have somewhat of a college culture problem. But if you look, this week, voters around Idaho approved $209 million in education funding. And I know that you had a bond drive that failed here, but in almost all across the state, levies for bonds and operating funds passed almost every place. And those that failed, with a few exceptions, like the one here, failed by a very small uh, percentage. So I believe the people of Idaho do support education. The other thing that tells me this is that the Albertsons Foundation did some research last year. They did a research project. That project showed that 60% of Idahoans don't think that we're doing enough to support education. Um, uh, I think it was 60-some percent or higher that said that education was the highest priority in the state, even more a higher priority than tax cuts for themselves. And 86% of the Idahoans said that if we didn't do something to improve education, that the state's economy would continue to suffer. So we presented that information to legislators about a month ago. And basically what we wanted to say to legislators is the people have your back. If you make the right decisions, the people of Idaho have your back. They believe in education. So go forth and do great things in education because the people of Idaho have your back. I believe the people of Idaho do support education. Sometimes it hasn't been translated into action. That's a puzzle to me. But I think a lot of it is that we do not have speeches like today, conversations like today, where we talk about how important education is. Well, that leads right into this uh, next question. So, yes, based on the levies and bonds that passed, people in Idaho do support education and are willing to pay for it. They are willing to tax themselves. So, on the route that we're on right now, what can be done to eliminate the disparity in the quality of education between the property-rich school districts, like Sun Valley and Meridian, versus the property-poor districts, like the Salmon and Lemhi area? The Constitution of Idaho guarantees a uniform education, and it will be a a farce until that disparity is remedied. Well, this is a personal opinion. It's not an IBE opinion. So put that under the personal opinion category. But in 2006, I was not here. <laughs> we made a very important, dramatic, and maybe not such a fortuitous decision in Idaho when we, in one day session, moved the M&O off property tax and replace it with sales tax didn't didn't really replace all the money, but the and worse yet we did away with the equalization formula. Now, I remember when I covered the legislature and Jerry Evans tried to explain the equalization formula to me, and my eyes would glaze over and I say, "Sure, Jerry," but it was a really important thing because what the equalization formula did was it it balanced everything between the rich districts and the poor districts. And it allowed the state to put the same number of dollars behind the kids in every district. No kid should suffer because they're, they're unfortunate enough to be born and raised in the wrong zip code, right? Every child in Idaho deserves a great education. No matter where they live, they deserve a great education. And the founders of our state, 125 years ago, almost seven generations ago, believe that. They believe that every kid in Idaho should be treated equally. But what happened in 2006 in this rush session 
is we, we took that, we threw, threw it out the window. So, you know, again, a personal opinion is, you know, maybe we should take a hard look at whether that was a good decision or not. Um, but first of all, the public, you, have to understand the ramifications of what happened and talk to your legislators about why that was such a bad thing. And, and by the way, we do too, as the business community. We need to also talk about why maybe that wasn't a good thing. The technological skills you've mentioned over and over again are so important. You can't drive a truck without running a computer. Uh, yet there appears to be some public resistance in Idaho to having one-on-one -on -one laptops or computers for our students. Why is that, and how could we remedy it? Well, you know, again, I don't think this is a resistance from the pe people of Idaho, and I know that's a bold statement since the voters of Idaho just trashed the Students Come First initiative last year, and I was not here for that either. <laughs> I was lucky I missed some of this stuff. Um, but here, here's my take on that, that that was sold very poorly, that that was sold in a way that pe people had to choose between a computer and the teacher. And any parent in their right mind is always going to choose the, the teacher over a computer. So if you frame the argument computer versus a teacher, everybody, like they, pro, you know, that, like they did, would vote against it. But here's the formula I use. Great technology in the hands of great teachers equal great outcomes. So you don't use technology to wag the dog. It's not that you don't have the tail wag the dog. Technology should be something that enhances the educational ex, uh, experience for the students and for the teacher. So another way to go about this is to, to say, drive the decision making down to the local level, district by district, maybe even school by school. What kind of technology do you want? Uh, what kind of technology do the teachers want? And then let them decide what kind of technology they want in their classrooms. And then the role of the state should be to help facilitate that, to help pay for it, to help make sure that it happens all across the state so you don't have rich districts and poor districts, that every child in Idaho has the same access to technology. So in my view, what happened on Students Come First was it was kind of a boneheaded process. And, and the voters rightfully rejected it because they believed it was technology replacing teachers. So we need to go about it a different way, and I think the people of Idaho will embrace technology, and, and I think teachers want technology, and Lord knows the students are way ahead of us on technology, right? So, so I think the people of Idaho do support technology. It's just how do we use it, how do we pay for it, and how do we get it into the schools? Do we have any idea of how many years of better than adequate school funding it would take to make up for the six years or more of inadequate funding? Um, I've heard numbers from 82 million to 110, 120 million to replace the money we lost during the Great Recession. So this year, as you know, they're, they're looking at about $35 million in new dollars. So at that rate, it could take us four or five years to get there. A lot of people think we need to move more rapidly than that. Um, and, you know, we don't control the state budget, but, but that's something the policy leaders have to look at is, is to see if we can get there more rapidly. I know a lot of schools are, are, are still going to be hurting even though we, we put, are, we're putting more money in. And these supplemental levies that everybody passed this week are a key to keeping the doors open for a lot of schools. So, you know... It could be it could be a few years. 
And even at that, by the time we catch up, if we only catch up to where we were with inflation, still be behind. So Absolutely. we need even more than that. Um, how do we know that more money spent on education will result in better student learning? Well, we really don't know. Uh, uh, in fact, there are lots of studies that show that, that there's no direct correlation between how much you spend and, and student outcomes. But to me, and this is another, this is another personal opinion, not an IBE position, is that there's a big gap between being next to last in the country in per pupil spending and the highest in the country. Somewhere, you know, here are the two basic arguments, and this is simplification. There are those folks who say, let's not throw money at the problem, you know. And there's no correlation between student spending and student outcomes. Then there are the people on the other side that say, gosh, we need to spend more money on education per pupil, and then our student outcomes will come along. Okay, so those are the two extremes. Somewhere is the rational middle, right? So I don't know how you could make a very rational argument saying that you're throwing money at the problem when you spend next to last in the country for per pupil spending. That's not, if you're in business, that's, you know, I could just see Apple. Apple's, you know, you could just see somebody walking into the research department at Apple and saying, you know, let's not throw money at research and, and innovation, right? Uh, and, and, and it, you know, so when you're spending next to last in the country per student, you're not exactly throwing money at the problem. So somewhere between that and what Washington, D.C. is spending on education, there's a rational middle. And, you know, there's an, you know schools are starving, so, you know, they're trying to keep the lights on. They're trying to keep teacher days. Uh, so I would say we're kind of at a subsistence level, and we have to move a little bit closer to the middle, uh, whatever that middle is. But there's, there's a big gap where we could probably find some common ground. How does IBE stand on vouchers for students to go to a private school or a school of their choice? Well, we don't really have a position on vouchers. We do have a position on uh, choice. We, we do believe in choice. We believe parents should have a choice of where they send their school, their kids, whether it's a public school, traditional school, a, a magnet school, a charter school, private school, uh, home school. We, we believe that parents should have a choice of where they send their kids. Uh, my understanding is, according to this question, that the go-on statistics do not take into account students who go on church missions, uh, maybe AmeriCorps or the military, and then return to college. So is that true? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and that is true. And, and that's why we need to do a go-on study, because our go-on rate might not look so bad if we truly understand how many kids are going on missions, how many are going to the military, how many are going someplace else. So that goes back to my uh, recommendation to the state board hey, let's do a study to find out what's happening with our go-on rate. How many kids are going on missions? How many are uh, going to the military? Because our go-on rate may not look so bad compared to the rest of the country if we can take those things into consideration. So that's why we need to do a study so we can better understand our situation. Then we know you know, how to respond to that situation. But right now, we're kind of flying blind, and, and, and there's speculation on that, but we don't really know the answer. Uh, someone here is questioning if maybe the reason businesses aren't coming into Idaho isn't strictly because of our education level, but perhaps some of our legislation, such as guns on campus, the anti-gag law, and our anti-gay bias. 
That might be a personal opinion. <laughs> well, we don't have a we don't have an official position on those things. Um, you know, uh, but being in the business world and being in the media in particular, uh, I do know there there are consequences to the kind of publicity that you get around the country. Uh, and I can't say that businesses aren't coming to Idaho or are coming to Idaho because of those things. And I'm not taking a position on those things. But I do think that, you know, if you work in the media you, or you work in business, you, you hear a lot about brand, right? Uh, brand is everything. You know, if you think Volvo, you think safe cars. If you think Toyota, you think reliability, at least you used to. If, if you think uh, BMW, you think driving performance, right? So every, everybody, every company has a brand. Well, states have a brand, right? And anything you do, positively or negatively, to affect the brand has to have consequences. And I'm not saying they do, but I'm just saying that we have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, we do live in a big world. You know, there, there are states outside of our borders. There are actually countries out there outside of the United States. We live in a global economy, and we are judged by these other folks. Our brand is judged by these other folks by what we do. So every decision has a consequence. The news does not stop at Ontario or at the Utah border or at the Washington border news goes around the world and people around the world read about us and the last question what do you think about the lay unpaid leadership managing our schools uh, lots of power to the local school boards uh, what was the question what do you think about the uh, school boards basically having a lot of power to run our schools but they're they're laymen they you know they don't necessarily come from an education background a teaching background uh, but there's a cry uh, uh, for them to have more power you know, decisions made by the school board. Maybe some schools board members aren't making the best decisions based on the best education. <laughs> well, you know, I believe in democracy, and I believe in people's right to have the government that they want to have. Here's our philosophy. In the governor's task force recommendations, there is a recommendation that you don't see on the front page of the paper or you don't see it leading the news. It's not sexy, doesn't get a lot of attention. But other than restoring the operating funds and the core standards, we think it's the most important recommendation. So I think it's recommendation seven, if I'm not mistaken. But what we're calling for is a change in the way schools are governed and the way we operate. So right now, either Washington, D.C. or Boise, Idaho make many of the decisions that are made at the local level. In fact, we met with some superintendents yesterday that said we have virtually no discretion over our budgets. So what IBE wants to do and what the governor's task force wants to do is we want to remove the rules, the regulations, and the laws that inhibit our local school boards and school superintendents from responding to the local needs. So what we, our goal is to make the superintendents truly the chief executive officers of their districts. Have them operate those, those districts so that they can be nimble, creative, responsive to local needs, and, and then have the school boards operate like a board of directors, 
where they don't micromanage the superintendent, but they set policy and they reflect the values of the community and the values of the people. Then we're hoping that those superintendents will drive that same sort of autonomy down to their principals. Let those principals run their schools. Let the teachers run their classrooms. Let's push decision making as close as we can to the local level so that all wisdom and all power does not reside in Boise or Washington, D.C. Now, to grant that kind of autonomy, we also have to have accountability because you can't have autonomy without accountability. So we believe that the superintendents, because they are the CEOs, just like any other CEO, is responsible for student outcomes. So another, this is the probably, this piece of legislation that passed the legislature potentially could be the most important piece of legislation that passed the legislature this year. Again, it probably didn't get much notice. But your representative, Wendy Horman, uh, sponsored a bill that would require every school district to do an annual plan, or a strategic plan, if you will, and to have measurable goals in that plan. And we're hoping, and we worked very closely with Wendy on that piece of legislation. She did. You are lucky. You have a phenomenal, phenomenal person in Wendy Horman. So thank you for sending her to Boise. But we worked with Wendy on this, and our hope is, is that each district will work in a collaborative way with the school board and the parents and the teachers and work on, truly work on a strategic plan with measurable goals for student outcomes, especially student outcomes. Because we believe if this kind of change in the structure of, of school districts can happen, we can revolutionize education in Idaho. We can transform the education system. We can improve student outcomes all across the state if we can, if we can do this. And so Wendy's bill is the very first step. It passed the House 64 to 5, passed the Senate 35 to 0. Uh, it's on its way to the governor, and he's going to sign it. And that is a down payment on this kind of leadership that we're talking about. And down, during the interim, the State Board of Education has created an interim committee to look at how to take that recommendation on autonomy and accountability and then bring back to next year's legislature specific legislation to make that happen. Our vice chair, Bob Locken, who's a business leader from Boise, is going to be co-chair of that interim committee. So we believe this is the most important thing we can do besides restore operating funds and, and uh, core standards. Good. We get to end on a good note. Thank you so much, Rod. We appreciate very much that you would come. The Idaho Falls City Club on KISU is supported by the Idaho Humanities Council, promoting good citizenship through civil discourse, civic engagement, and reflection on the public good. More information is online at idahohumanities.org. You're listening to KISU, Pocatello at 91.1 and Idaho Falls at 91.3. We're also streaming live at KISU.org. I am the Lord thy God. Oh, Lord, what can you want of me? Tell them that I have chosen you. Dirty 45s chooses you every Tuesday night at 9 p.m.